You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Hello, welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on the 11th of May. We were not able to record last week, both for myself and Joe. We simply couldn't make it all week, more so myself than Joe. <laughs> but we are here today. We actually have a lot of things to discuss this week. So I thought it'd be good just to basically jump right in and get at her. A lot of the information for the classes has been coming out the, the the next level classes for Guild Wars 2. And since for last couple of weeks now we've gotten both the Chronomancer as well as the Dragon Hunter, the Chronomancer being the elite or the whatever they're calling it there, the elite specializations for the Mesmer, whereas the Guardian is the one that's going to be getting the Dragon Hunter. Now we'll start off with the Chrono Chronomancer and then move on to the Dragon Hunter. What's really cool about this is that they're giving each class, or I should say profession actually, a lot more diversity. One of the things that we talked about when Guild Wars 2 first came out was how each class felt so insanely different from the other. But not just that, also how every single weapon you equip changes the playstyle so drastically for every mm -hmm. profession as well. So now on top of that, we're going to get not just that specialization, but an additional weapon, which means that that character that you really, really love to play now all of a sudden is going to have the ability to have a completely different feel. And that's very exciting actually. So the, the Mesmer, which is a class that I've, I really like, I didn't level mine that far. My son actually mained, uh, a mesmer for quite a while when we were playing. That was the one that he would play when uh, when I was leveling up. Um, what the hell was I playing? My ranger, I guess, around that time. And we had a lot of fun. They're very, very useful to have around simply because they offer so many different perks for everybody else in the party. So with the Chronomancer, what they're doing is they're using a lot of time imagery and lore and whatnot and turning in the Mesmer essentially into, as they call it, their quote-unquote fabulous time mage, which I love. The Chronomancers are going to be able to use a shield, which I think is freaking awesome for a Mesmer. Just in terms of the aesthetics of a Mesmer with a freaking shield that has all of these makeshift dials and time time influences on it. I think that's very cool. And they'll have several different abilities based, again, not just on the Chronomancer, but the shield also is going to offer up some different abilities. They were saying some of the abilities are going to be, again, everything is kind of messing around with time, but like you're going to be able to create this massive wall of compressed temporal energy that one's the uh, tides of time and essentially send that flying towards your enemy and it will for a while actually absorb any projectiles but also it can freeze enemies for a short while and grant a, a bonus to 
to anybody, any allies that get caught in it. What's cool is that once it reaches its maximum length, like of how far it's going to go from where you are standing, it actually comes back, applies the same buffs and debuffs on the way back. <laughs> and if you hit it before it ends, so essentially run towards it, you'll actually recover some of the, the charge that you need to do it again. And if you use different uh, abilities like the unique skill that they're going to get which is the continuum split and continuum shift which allows you to really play with with time and resetting you can actually have two of those walls going at the same time and if you move from where you originally cast it when it bounces back it's actually going to redirect towards you so you can have it going out like v's influencing and affecting multiple both npcs and allies brilliant freaking design sounds like a lot of work right oh mesmers are <laughs> mesmers definitely are like that going back to guild wars 2 like a lot of work is involved in playing these classes and it's not that they do just this straight up insane dps it's a lot of it is the utility that they bring to a group, which is an insane amount. Yeah, I'm actually interested in seeing what other specialization the Mesmers are going to get because I, I liked playing a, a Phantasm, like Summoner-type Mesmer. So there's not a whole lot of functionality for that with the Chronomancer. So I'm wondering what else, uh, what other fun toys they're going to get along the way. Yeah, there's a lot. What I like is that this relies fairly heavily on your illusions and the amount of illusions you shatter will influence different things like alacrity which is going to be a function that they're going to get which is again going to buff themselves and allies as well as hinder enemies and those there's going to be different abilities again that can produce more illusions or make use of them that they they can just come out whenever you do certain things. And even from before, that's one of the things that both my son and I really enjoyed about the class is that playing with your illusions and using very specific ones from very specific weapons and things like that. And this, because, again, the more you shatter of them, the, the stronger certain abilities are going to be. That's fairly cool. And again, like that, the ultimate skill, the unique skill is going to be essentially you're going to press it once for the continuum split, which marks where you are as well mm -hmm. as, you know, where your abilities are and things like that in terms of cooldown. And then when you press it again later, it resets back to that point. So it ports you back, plus it will allow you to play those spells again, which also they said will affect the elite skill, which is, again, you can be playing your elite skill twice because of this ability. There is going to be a lot of work involved in playing this class, without a doubt, this specialization. But I have a feeling that for for anybody who likes that, it's going to be insanely rewarding because they've thought it through. When you're watching the video for it as well, it just felt so fluid. And to me, that's a testament to people who are doing character design that know what they're doing and class balancing and then they know how to do it and do it in such a way that it's a ton of fun too. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it, it seems like it's going to be far more engaging too. Like, and that's one of the things we talk about a lot here is classes and MMOs being engaging and being rewarding because all too often we just see like, even when a class is quote unquote complicated, uh, it winds up being just timing and pressing of the same four buttons over and over and over again. Here, it seems like they're, they, they took that particular design problem and was like, how can we kind of do that? But, make it so that it's not exactly that and give the players a reward for putting in the time to learning how to play the class. And I, I don't know about you, but when I saw the two mirror images split out and go into melee combat and all the marking on the grounds and everything, it just, it looked like there is going to be some very cool visual rewards for learning how to play this character. And it makes me want to level up a Mesmer now. The thing that I was that I'm concerned for is part of those buffs that you're talking about are the wells that they'll be able to place on the ground. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of wells that they'll, they'll be able to put down that again, very time influence. There's different things that they'll do. Like there's a well of precognition that offers a buff, uh, making attacks unblockable for a while, a well of calamity for pure DPS, essentially well of eternity for healing and a gravity. Well, that's going to be the, the elite spell. The problem is, is that these wells are going to tick and hitting the tick or being there for the tick or whatever is going to be what gives you the strongest buff or debuff. The problem is, is that, and they're making it so that you can see the clock face essentially on the ground, the hand minutes or whatever ticking off so that you know when it's going to be ready. I'm wondering if the designers have seen what... (laughs) the ground looks like in their game because I don't know that it's going to be visible enough that you can really make use of it. I can see how if you're in a group with team speaker vent or whatever, and you're telling people, okay, listen, get in the freaking clock. Okay. But for them relying on them to know and act upon it, you're expecting a lot of your players. I think if we've learned anything from MMOs is that players will naturally stand inside giant glowing circles. It's true. That is very, very true. Okay. Let's move on to the Dragon Hunter, which is going to be the Guardian's lead specialization. Now, the Guardian is very much an up-close-and-personal class, tanking class kind of thing that also offers buffs to the party. This, they're now going to be getting the Longbow, which is going to allow them to do a lot of the support functions that they do, but from a distance and staying away from the main the main boss or whatever it is that you're trying to gain aggro on. So this is fairly cool because you're getting abilities that you see typically with a hunter or ranger type class, like the spear of justice that tethers enemies away from you and things like that. And I like that the tether also acts as, you know, it burns them as it's going on. There's different things like the wings of resolve, which will allow, basically grow these freaking awesome looking wings and then leap into an area, whether it's healing allies or taking on foes. So there's a lot that you can do from a distance. And I think more so than the other ones that we've seen right now, even more so than the Ranger with the, the Druid spell stuff, I think this really has the potential to significantly change the gameplay of a profession. Yeah, I really like this concept. And, it's, and it has, has a lot to do with how they flavor it. They're not just saying you're a guardian with a bow. They really give it a lot of 
depth and making it unique from a ranger or any other ranged class. Like, you know, you're not firing regular arrows out of your longbow. You have these giant spiritual glaives that you're launching down the battlefield. And it it really makes it seem very unique and yet still has the core of what makes the Guardian kind of cool to begin with. Did either of you play much of a Guardian? Guardian was my first character and I took it. I couldn't even tell you how far. But like I liked it, but it was it, it was definitely a class that performed far better in groups than outside of it. So I yes. wanted something with a little more versatility. Yeah. See, I actually didn't play it all that much because of that, because I tended to either play just with my youngest or just solo. So I found that it just it, it wasn't really worth playing all that much and it wasn't different enough if you're playing it solo strictly dps and kind of thing not quite enough different enough from say the warrior to make Mm -hmm. it something that i wanted to to level up that said though knowing this is the end result i'd be more inclined to to definitely want to do this yeah okay any parting thoughts on this like what are you guys interested for the most in terms of which profession well it's pretty cool that when they were talking about the Chronomancer, it's something they had initially uh, promised for the initial, the original Guild Wars and one of their yeah. expansions before they changed their mind. So I'm really looking to see if they're going to bring some of the other classic stuff in because I loved playing a Dervish in the original Guild Wars. So if they could somehow bring that play style into one of these advanced Ooh, specializations, thief. I'm very interested. Yeah, it would be good for a thief, yeah. uh, maybe even a warrior. I'm on the same along the same lines. I always enjoy when... Uh, studios companies can go back and say we you know we never actually got to do this and inject it into the game say we're at a place where we can finally bring back all these things that we promised but never got around to so i'm interested just to kind of see what else is going to to be brought forward right like we have the chronomancer is cool the dragon hunter is cool but it makes me wonder what else we're going to get yeah see i actually that dervish might go in for the elementalist as well that would actually be yeah. There's a, a there's a lot of directions you can go with that because it was a very versatile class to begin with. Yeah. So yeah, we've. I mean, I actually leveled my elementalist the highest of all mine, and it was because, in addition to every weapon changing what abilities you use, the elementalist also has all of the elements. Mm-hmm. So each weapon also has each of the elements that you can switch between. So there was so many different things that you can do with it that was just so much fun. So I really, and plus my was a little sir. She was so freaking cute. I just love playing her. That said, I do like several of the other classes. I love the Necromancer a lot. The only problem is, is that I found that more so than any other profession, I I kept thinking, I wish I could take these abilities from this weapon and these abilities from (laughs) this and kind of combine them because there was no one weapon that felt as natural as, say, the staff felt for the Elementalist for me. So knowing that they're going to get something new which will drastically change that gameplay, that's probably the one profession that I am the most excited to hear what they're going to do with it. Yeah, I'll agree. So, okay. So, again, we're still super excited for this. And as more news comes out. Have you guys heard how they're handling beta invites for the expansion? No. No. They're world drops. 
Oh, Jesus. Seriously? <laughs> you go out, you play the game, you may get a beta invite as a drop. That God is, damn, that's genius. A genius idea. That is amazing. That, it's a great way to ensure the people who are playing the game are the ones that are actually going to be testing. <laughs> but that's that's also incentive for people to come back and play, too. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. That... <sighs> well, you know what? <laughs> the Again, they've proven time and time again how the manner in which they interact with the community is fantastic. And we saw that as well when they stripped and killed the hacker. Did you see the video for that? Mm-hmm. There was the guy who yes. was oh, hacking. The humiliation for yeah. the hacker. Yes. I thought, once again, you're going like, God, I love you guys. <laughs> we saw that from the very beginning when they were yeah. blowing up people on Reddit. Yep. Like, so, all right, let's move on. We also got a bunch of news for Batman Arkham Knight. Now, <laughs> this was interesting because, like, we got some some videos and whatnot. But the big news, of course, was that goddamn DLC for the season pass that would only be six months worth of DLC and significantly more expensive, 40 bucks. And again, that's not 40 bucks as compared to what normal season passes are because this is for half the time that the normal season passes for that said, and, and, and they took a lot of flack because they didn't tell us what was going to be in the goddamn season pass either initially. They just said, hey, there's going to be a season pass. It's going to be six months and it's going to cost you 40 bucks. Well, fuck you too. Well, <laughs> thank you for kicking me in the balls. Because unfortunately, yes, there's been some good DLC with some of the other games, but there's also been a lot of crap. So when they're not even telling you what you're going to get, it's easy to imagine crap for $40. Like skins for a Batman that you can't even use until after you've finished the game and things like that. But they immediately came out and gave us a bunch more information. And I don't know about you guys, but even just seeing this kind of made me think, uh, okay, $40 might not be too much because they're cramming in quite a bit right from the get-go. And who knows what else is going to be coming through. Like that Batgirl DLC where you get to play as her, obviously before she was... Uh, put in the wheelchair mm-hmm. and turned into uh, Oracle. So it would stand to reason that hopefully that's not just going to be a, you know, slice of life story of what a normal weekend is for her, but more so hopefully really tackles how in this iteration, what happened to put her in that wheelchair. If it lasts long enough, that in and of itself is probably worth the 40 bucks for me. Maybe, but at the same point, then we're still looking at it's going to be a hundred dollars to get the full value yeah, out of that yeah. game. Yeah, and and like That's... it's it's maybe slightly more palpable when you think about it as like oh it's a forty dollar you know season pass. But even then, it's the same problem I have with all the other games. It turns a sixty dollars plus title into a hundred to one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty, depending on what t- version you get. It's a lot of money to put up front. That's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree. And here's exactly how I look at it. Okay, you're telling me I can get this much over the next six months for $100. Or I can just wait the six months yeah. when I know you're going to be wanting that nice Christmas money and then and release, a, and release a complete edition for $50 that I could probably get on sale for 30 or 40 I'm okay with waiting a few months, honestly, because my time, my money, it's pretty valuable to me and more valuable to me than it is to Warner Brothers. 
Yeah. Well, and you hit you hit so you hit it perfectly right there, right? There's no incentive to pay up front for all this stuff. It's not like it's going anywhere, right? And that's happening with more and more games. This is just as excited as we are for this game. Like I'm with Vince. I would wait. Yeah, I haven't pre-ordered it yet because it is a, a massive chunk of change. And we've seen the Batman games go on sale constantly on Steam, which mm-hmm. leads me to believe that the same thing's going to happen here. The only downside is is that we aren't likely to get, say, the pre-order bonuses tossed into that, which Whoop is – What's that? What do you do? That's the only thing. What Although, are you really saying? Yeah. That, that being said, I would like to play the – the Harley Quinn stuff, as well as the Scarecrow stuff, which oh, so you're going to pre-order it twice. Pre-order. No, actually, if you pre-order from, I can't remember where it was. But if, if but their track record is anything to be noted, they're just going to be available as purchasable DLC six months later. Uh, that I don't know. I who knows. Like I mean, again, there's there's some things that I am excited for in terms of the of the DLC. Oh yeah, I'm, but some really of the other stuff, like I'm really sure. don't care too much. Like the character skins, I don't care. Now they did say that you're actually going to be able to change your Batman costume right away. That's about fucking time, guys. So I'm happy about that. But in terms of a lot of the other stuff, like the challenge maps. I know that some people really like to squeeze as much value out of their games as they can. And if there's stuff like this, they'll play it. And some of them justifiably enjoy it. But I don't tend to. Like, if I've already done it, I've got a stack that would take me 50 years on Steam to finish. <laughs> not to mention all the freaking other games for PS4 and stuff. So, uh, no, I, I've run through it once. That's good enough. The same thing with the, the different Batmobile stuff to do. It's like, uh, as much as I like racing, racing the Batmobile around custom tracks, yeah, not so much. I'll play an actual racing game. Speaking of which, completely as as off one that works. Yeah, completely <laughs> off topic. Did either? Oh, Joe, you wouldn't have. But uh, Vince, did you download that uh, Race the Sun game for PS4 uh, and Vita? No, but I, ha- I have uh, checked it out on other platforms previously. God. <laughs> I, I downloaded it and installed it. For anybody who's interested, it's actually free right now if you do the PS Plus membership, which anybody, who, you should put it that way. This but, month alone is worth it. But uh, I started playing it on the Vita. That shit is fun. And you want to talk yes. again, minimalist, just very black and white with a few colors here and there. Style is gorgeous, but it's, it's freaking just a blast to play. And it gives you different objectives to do before you go every round. And, like, I can barely hit. One of them was collide with four objects. And it's like, done! That one I can do. <laughs> okay, let's go back to um, to Arkham Knight. So, anyways, again, that's that's the the DLC, the season pass thing. And there's going to be some other things, too. You'll be able to play through Batman in some other story missions that they're talking about as well, too. They're calling that the season of infamy. There's Again, there's going to be different things there that it may very well be worth the $40. But like the boys said, too, might be worth waiting for that game of the year edition that comes out later. Now, there was also, they're doing, which... We're seeing a lot of other dev companies doing as well, doing videos as they're getting closer to launch day to really hype up what's going on. And they had some, it looked like the community manager, who's a little too excitable, along with uh, with a, a few of the, the he hasn't devs. hasn't slept are, in two weeks, Raj. Give yeah, really? <laughs> and they broke down the All Who Follow You trailer, 
which was freaking awesome. And we've been seeing a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff with the voice actors and all that. I did not realize, and you would think that I would because I'm such a fan of his work, but uh, John Noble is the one that's doing the voice of Scarecrow. He was the one who played Walter in Fringe and who's in Sleepy Hall and stuff like that. And I, God, I love that actor. You would think that I would recognize his voice because it's so recognizable, but but I hadn't actually. So I thought, that is freaking awesome. And then they talked to some of the other voice actors too. This is actually not that video. There was the other one where they talked to the voice actors. And, and it was really cool. And like even Kevin Conroy's talking about what they were doing with the characters and things like that. And it was pretty cool. And in this video here, they talk about a few things. Some of the things that really I found interesting about that video is they were talking about Gordon because you see Gordon right from the get-go. And they were talking about the, 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 the triangular relationship, essentially, they were saying between Gordon, Barb, and Batman. And they were saying how Gordon doesn't know that... Barb is Oracle or was, and that's the thing. (laughs) And I'm wondering now, I'm really curious how it's going to play out in the game because we've talked about this on the comic book conformer podcast quite a bit because we've covered the comic injustice, which is a completely different canon than the regular canon, but it doesn't change who the characters were at their core, essentially, just kind of sent them off on this adventure that there was no looking back. And if the characters stay true to who they are and whatnot, like Gordon in Injustice tells Barb, like, I'm a fucking, he doesn't say that, I'm like, I'm a detective. Of course I know that you were Batwoman and and, uh, and Oracle. So, I'm wondering if there's going to be hints of that in this, and that would be pretty freaking excited, exciting if he handled it well. This is that that wonderful point in storytelling where they have nothing to lose. Exactly. They have no plans beyond this game. The gloves are off. We don't know what to expect from Rocksteady as far as storytelling is concerned. Well, they're taking it far enough off the the canonical road that, I mean, they invented their own villain as well in Arkham Knight. So they were able to really play with the the idea of creating this new villain who has who controls this massive army is this militaristic leader so if they are willing to do that kind of thing and and play with the canon as it pertains to their games then i'm i'm really hopeful that somebody had the balls to say why don't we just make gordon do the same thing as you know injustice and say oh of course i know of course I know that you're this. That would be this awesome. This is going to come back to the whole thing that it still has to pass Warner Brothers approval before it goes live. So it's whether or not Warner Brothers will let them do that. That's going to be the key, not whether or not they will do it. Warner Brothers or DC? Who? Why would Warner we- Brothers because they own the DC rights. So here, here's oh, okay. the here, – I've talked about this a little bit, but here's here's the fun thing. Anytime somebody makes a game with the Warner Brothers logo attached to it with an IP that they have, whether it's a movie, cartoon, comic, whatever the case is, they have final say on what gets pushed out. Uh, this is why certain things like um, – well, I can do it now because I no longer have anybody that works at the company. But like when they were doing Infinite Crisis or the Infinite Crisis MOBA game, they weren't allowed to have Starro talk because Warner Brothers didn't think he should have a voice. 
stuff like that. Like, and like they would go through all this hard work and all this stuff, and then they would yank it at the last second. And you see that in a lot of their other games too. They have complete final say over any game, any IP that gets pushed out and has to go through their approval process. Yeah, but for this, again, if if just sticking with what I'm talking about for, for Gordon and Barb kind of thing, that's not taking it so far that Warner Brothers should give a rat's ass. It depends. They care about really stupid random things. So wow. I, I hope we get that moment because I love the I love the whole fact that Gordon's not a dumb cop. No. He's, he's, he's smart. He got to where he is, where he is because he knows what the hell is going on. Play into that. I would love to see that happen. I've got my fingers crossed. Man. They they also talked about a, a little bit about the seamless switching between Batman and, and the allies as you're fighting to do some of the cool combos that we see in that trailer, which if it's as seamless as what they're saying, that adds it, it, it's different than what I thought it was going to be. I thought essentially yeah. the those those allies would act more like NPCs helping you, NPC allies, not that you can just, you know, press triangle and boom, you're Nightwing or whatever. Yeah, I was figuring it'd be like an assist character in Marvel versus Capcom almost. Yeah. But knowing that you can switch between them on the fly, that's really exciting. Yeah. The other thing that's very exciting is that there's there's not going to be any loading screens. It all streams in, so you're not going to have any loading screens as you enter buildings or whatever. That's freaking exciting. That is freaking awesome because nothing breaks immersion like a freaking loading screen. Well, that's a trend we're starting to see publishers starting to try to push to like game develop like game devs. We, we talked about this with Witcher Three. Witcher Three is not going to have any loading screens. This not having any loading screens. About damn fucking time. Yeah, it is. It is. No, no more. No more elevators. God damn it. Okay, let's move on to some Xenoblade. There was a massive hour-long video gameplay video of of uh, Chronicles X and it looked freaking awesome. I actually wasn't able to watch much of the video because the audio was horribly out of sync for me. What, did you have the same problem? No. Uh, like, I would watch it for a minute. Like, and it was like a 10, 20, 30 nuts. second delay. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I wasn't able to find a good version of this anywhere else, but I still, you know, did some research and looked up. Like the game world is just ridiculous, and, and they were ta- talking about the gameplay. And from what I've seen from both of the Xenoblade games, the gameplay itself isn't exciting. Like it is what it is. It's interesting. It does what it wants to do. But for me, really, what I get out of it is more exploring the world and these fabulous vistas and finding these rare enemies and and all that stuff. And I still haven't played the 3DS one because I've been good. I did not buy the new 3DS yet. <laughs> but as as some of you may know, I'm a huge fan. One of my favorite games of all time is the original Xeno Gears, uh, the PlayStation 1 RPG. And then that team left Square Enix to form Monolith Soft at Namco. And that's when they released the Xeno Saga games, which were... Legally distinct from Xenogears, <laughs> yet, yet filled in some very important points in the story because Xenogears was like one chapter of this huge, gigantic, eon-spanning epic. So they put Xenogears as like the opening chapter of that. And then when Nintendo bought Monolith Soft, they made this uh, new game for them called Mondano or something, something like that, Monsando. And then at the very last minute, they went, hey, we could probably sell a few hundred thousand more copies if you put the word Xeno in front of the title. <laughs> so that's how we got Xenoblade. So it, the original Xenoblade was never intended to be 
any sort of spiritual successor to the Xeno franchise, as it's known now. But now that they've seen the success, because what we have here with Chronicles, it has very little to do with the original Xenoblade. And now that I've seen it, now that I've seen the story, now that I've seen the world, now that I've seen the characters, this actually fits in very well with the Xenogears mythos. And now I really, really, really need a Wii U. <laughs> That's right. You're the Lost of Us that doesn't have one. Oh, yeah. You're going to want it for Splatoon anyways. Right? So we're going to play. So Splatoon's cool, but it ain't that cool. Oh, dude. you kidding me? Splatoon, you can have your little amiibo. Splatoon dude. The inkling. And then just put it on. Make whatever <laughs> fancy noise you want when you <laughs> you connect it. But yeah. yeah the, the, game, the game looks fantastic. And it's something I know I have to play. Because it, it has a, a very uh, deep connection with me in my gaming history. So uh, it's going to happen at some point, guys. The thing that I was the most impressed with was the map, the world. Like mm-hmm. it is insanely beautiful with very distinct areas as well. So it doesn't feel like it's just one massive map essentially, but it feels very much like you're traversing a world and experiencing different parts of it. And that was very, very cool. Like again, even more so than the combat and everything else, it was that goddamn, goddamn exploration everywhere. You're going like, holy shit, this is incredible. Well, because world creation and world generation is important, especially in something like this. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially when you look at what's going to be coming up with the new Zelda when it eventually comes out. Like, I'm I'm thinking that that's a push that they're getting now. Maybe not directly from Nintendo, but they realize this is a push that, that these large, expansive worlds to travel around in are very important. It might actually go right back to, to Skyrim because people saw how p- much people adored that. Now we're seeing it coming out for Witcher 3 and all of these other games moving forward as well. They they understand, and the obvious Dragon Age as well, how important that large, expansive map is. Well, it, and, al- it also heralds, too, with the, the marching and moving of technology as well, right? Like, game systems can handle that a lot yes. better than they could, you know, five, yeah. six, seven years ago. Yeah. More, more importantly, those big maps are now starting to be populated by actual things. Yeah, just, here's a big map. Okay, thanks. Enjoy running across it because there's not a whole lot of interesting things between point A and point B. But now the games are really packing the maps full of content and fun new things to just waste all of your time with. Mm. Okay, let's move on to Swotar. We're getting yet more updates with Rise of the Emperor. And I was actually subbed up until just recently when we switched over to Final Fantasy XIV. But I was still popping in here and there because, again, it's still a game that I get sucked into the lore so much and, and absolutely adore everything about it. The This one here is going to be... Uh, basically centered around the former Sith Emperor Emperor, and who is now basically out to control and murder everybody. There's going to be a lot of stuff taking place on a new planet, uh, Zeus, Zeus, whatever, that is the quote-unquote gateway to the Empire. You're going to need Shadow Orvin to play this and have to be level 60, but it really sounds like they're really going to be providing an epic freaking storyline. Like, maybe not at the level of the Revan stuff, but even then it is possible that it will be that freaking cool. There's even some lore short story kind of stuff that they released, which talks about the the lead up 
issue for for a couple of the main characters that you're going to interact with um, because there's two main characters that you're going to interact with and there's a lot of like Sith intelligence going on and things like that and like the short story talks about the formation of that and and the characters this really I don't want to say it's going to make me resub because the only way I play Swator myself is to resub because it's far too inhibiting to do the free to play. But man, it's got me interested, really interested. Not enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it knowing that I'd have to put up the, the cash in order to really enjoy it? It's I'd like to experience it and I'd really like to, to get into the, the core story, but it's just so much of the surrounding stuff is still largely uninteresting to me. Yeah. Okay. You are still very interested in Dragon Age. We got the information about the new DLC Dragon Slayer, and uh, you got some info for that? Yes. Uh, it's out now, actually. It came out last week. Oh, even. did it? Okay. Yes. Uh, free multiplayer DLC Dragon Slayer with a new mission where you're tasked with, of course, slaying a dragon. But the big thing is they also added in three new playable characters. And unlike the previous set, these are actual characters. They're not just bland templates. Starting first off and foremost with, of course, Isabella. Uh, giving her a role in the game, uh, she didn't have anything to do in the story, but she was such an important part of the first two games. It's cool that they put her in here, gave her some cool mechanics, and let you play as one of the fan favorite characters. And then we got the two new characters, which are pretty interesting. Uh, you have the Skywatcher, who's one of the the Avar, like the, the barbarian sort of tribe. He's a two-handed warrior that can use elements with his attacks. So he can activate an elemental ability and then use one of the warrior ability for, for extra effects. And that's pretty fun. But by far, the star of this expansion, and everybody thought he was an April Fool's joke because that's when Bioware <laughs> announced him is zither and that's how you have to pronounce it because the proper yep. way to spell it is in all capital letters with an exclamation point at the end it's a fucking fire bard how can you not love it <laughs> just watching the video of this dude going around with his loot and slaying enemies with lightning bolts is fucking awesome <laughs> and i actually found a cool interview talking about how his gameplay mechanic works. He has three notes that he can strum on his loot, fire, cold, and lightning, and that you can combine those to play a song that has a unique effect. Uh, as they say, fire, fire, cold will buff the party's attack speed, whereas cold, fire, lightning casts an AoE uh, barrier. So you actually have to be a bard and play songs and be a musician for this awesome fucking character that now needs to have his own game. This is only cool if you can play with a Guitar Hero controller. <laughs> I guarantee someone out there will make that happen. If I can if I can play Crypto the Necro Dancer with a dance pad, somebody will make it so that I can play Zither with a game with a game controller shaped like a guitar. Yeah, I was interested in this too. I sadly I again I so wish that I would have picked this up on PC versus PS4. Um, but I, I I haven't even touched the multiplayer in this at all. The multiplayer, multiplayer. is fun. Yeah. I, I can't play it for a long stretch, though. Like, it, it kind of becomes grindy. Like, I'll pop in for one or two games and have fun, and then it's just like, okay, it's endlessly looking for a group because I want to play a healer, and I somehow, you know, end up in a punk party that already has three healers, and I try to switch to Archer, but I'm only level one, so they kick me out of the party. So the matchmaking needs a lot of work, and that's 
really been like the downfall of it for me where I'll spend 20 minutes in matchmaking just to play you know, one map. So it's fun. I really like what they did with it, but it it needs some good tweaking. Okay. okay, let's move on to Elite Dangerous. We got some information in terms of how they're progressing with allowing you to have a more immersive experience while you're there in terms of the lore and factions and things like that. Now, I haven't been playing. I, I keep seriously considering picking it up, but I, I've been good and I haven't yet. <laughs> but um, I'm impressed, Raj. You you should be. You should be because <laughs> seriously, my the cursor was hovering over by a number of times. <laughs> uh, it's just a tab you keep open at all times. Yeah, really. <laughs> Joe, is this something that you can see? Well, I'll let you run through, first of all, what we're going to be getting, but also your opinion as to whether or not you think this will actually add enough flavor and again lower for lack of a better term that it'll make it worthwhile for folks so let's let's go back to just elite dangerous and what it is right if you if you don't know by now it's a space flight simulator where it's everything from dog fighting to commerce to well exploring a vast vast gorgeous universe that looks amazing on a 4k screen so one of the biggest complaints it's had is that players feel that there's not enough to do because it does rely very heavily on player-driven elements, which, I mean, with a game this big, is to kind of be expected. Now they took that to heart, and now we start seeing about power play. So what is power play going to do? It's going to take those several empty spaces, so to speak, and fill them in. Frontier wants players to have access to something that are called powers. Uh, it's now, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, there are political factions in the game. Those have always been in the game. They've been in there since Alpha. Uh, the, the whole thing is supposed to be different factions vying for power or economic stability, whatever the case is. Here, though, they want to take it down to a more granular level where powers are going to be the evidence of their influence, uh, whether it's you know, a figurehead that you're going to champion their cause or a corporation that's going to hire you on or a political uh, system that needs you to, to go and do things. And they're actually going to start flushing those out. Now, the cool thing about this is now they're, they're not just adding factions for the sake of adding factions. They want these to be living, breathing entities that will exist in this universe that will grow based on the players that are going to basically take up for their causes and generate a ton of interaction, not just between players, but on that whole power base. It's really kind of a cool concept. And I think that's really nifty. The Personally, only thing, if I can just jump sure, in for a minute, the only thing is that I found is it kind of worried me a little bit because it has the potential to turn into the faction grind that you get in MMOs, which I would hate for a game like this to rely on a very lazy game design mechanic of dailies and stuff like that. Sure. I don't know if that's how it's going to come off, but that's certainly the first thought that came to I, my mind as an MMO player. But I think it will come closer to some of the other games, like maybe Eve with the different uh, races or different corporation factions. I, I, I'm holding out hope because they, they care. They Everything that I've seen from Frontier is a, they actually give a shit about their game. They care about their players. They want people oh, to true. play their games. True. And so I think that they're going to take a look at that. And they're, we already see here that they're taking criticism to heart. If somebody says this feels like an MMO grind, I guarantee you they'll change it. 
The only problem is, is that again, they yes, they're listening to their 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 player base. However, they're choosing to move forward with a gameplay mechanic that is very much a carrot on the end of a stick. That's just about the faction number, your faction reputation. So whether you're going out and building faction rep by doing these quest objectives or whatever that they're talking about for the various maps, or if we turn it into, like, you can even look at stuff like Destiny, a first-person shooter for Crysis, but they're relying on the same kind of thing for faction reputation, where all you care about is increasing that little number up higher and higher so that a group likes you more. And I think that that's a gameplay mechanic that is so overly used. And I personally find that it is actually a lazy one because again, it's not about offering a wealth of content, but the same content that's rotated about that just increases a, an arbitrary number that represents a group of people. And that's a very valid concern, but it also, on the other side, opens them up to do things like having station raids or having turf wars or having things that will actually force engagement between different sectors and different players. It's a double-edged sword, right? Like, if it's done really well, it can be really good for the game. If it's done poorly, like you said, where it's just that carrot on the stick where you're just looking to tick that number up, it could be another nail in the coffin. It's, it's going to largely depend on implementation. Now, we're going to see... Uh, exactly in about, well, a little over a week uh, from the time this podcast is recorded, that's where we're going to see the beta of Power Play, and that's where we're going to really start getting some information as to what's going to be being pumped out and how that's going to play out. And based solely on what we've looked here, though, and the amount of time that you've played, do you think that this actually has the potential to, well, even yourself, get you in there more often to play? I do actually because one of the one of the things that space games are at least for me a dogfighting game should incentivize you to go dogfighting right it should incentivize you to go hunting it should it should give you a reason to go do something right now there's not a whole lot of that it's just oh I found somebody I can either let them go or I can go ahead and shoot them down and take their stuff now it's trying to instill a purpose and I think that's enough for a lot of the players because one of the a lot of the time that I spent with spreadsheets in space, uh, otherwise known as Eve, was faction versus faction-driven stuff. And it was these huge raids or complicated schemes to put one corporation against another corporation. And those were huge motivators of people working together. Here, it could be that exact same thing. And I think that would be enough, especially for me, to get in there and say, well, I take up with this power and this person's you know, completely opposed to everything that my power stands for time for me to start planning some raids and that's when i'm going to start going and start hunting them down and invading their space and it will be enough to get me back into that game okay all right let's move on we got initially again because some of these show notes are for last week there was the the <laughs> rumor about the disney 3 infinity 3.0 star wars set but it immediately was actually confirmed as well so we're going to be getting the freaking clone Wars set Mm-hmm. And it's going to have like Anakin and Ahsoka and it's going to, it even shows you like Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Maul, Yoda, Darth Vader, R2, uh, C-3PO, uh, Leia. There's going to be vehicles as well, like Anakin's pod racer and a uh, Naboo starfighter. Hmm. 
<laughs> Roger, what's that about you? Little collectibles? Man, it, it was so funny because I had been talking to my son because we were talking about the Amiibos, and he actually surprised me saying there was a couple that he's interested in that he actually would like. And then this drops, and I'm like, God damn, here I was saying that I'm not interested in playing this. And then I see this, and that in my head now, I'm seeing like the ultimate couch co-op duos kind of thing. And I'm thinking Yoda and freaking Deadpool, you know, because they've got Marvel now too, that they can, you can mix and match or Obi-Wan Kenobi from Clone Wars and Mater from Cars, you know, different shit like that. I just, I just think it's so freaking awesome. (laughs) It's an infinite number of possibilities. It is some of our favorite characters and it has a really cool Nova looking statue that I can then go ahead and link up with like Osaka or Osaka Hell yeah! All I know is at this point they're missing out on a huge opportunity if the Incredibles don't meet the Fantastic Four. Yeah, <laughs> that would be freaking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that would be so much fun. <laughs> they, they could set up that like like PvP stuff, like Team Fortress and stuff, <laughs> and just have the characters there. You select which one you want to play. Do it. Make it so. And they also are going to be putting Infinity 2.0 on the PS Vita, which is actually fairly cool although fairly pricey and kind of weird that it's only going to be at GameStop and so you're looking at 60 bucks for the starter and actually the starter you're not getting a whole lot they're making a big deal that you're going to be getting the the black venom costume for Spidey but it's only being introduced on the Vita it'll make its way onto the other consoles later on so I it's a cool concept and all that but it's fairly pricey for what you're getting in my opinion I'd rather put the money down on Infinity 3.0. I'm not mm. saying I will. <laughs> I'm just saying I'd rather. He's saying he has. Well, I'm, so. I'm kind of obligated to put money down on Infinity 3.0 as it has been decreed with very loud squeam. <laughs> well, you see, here's what you do, Joe. You pre-order the PS4 version. Then you know, you that's a very good it. idea. <laughs> there's, the, there's my carrot on his stick. See, there's my faction grind right there. <laughs> you can tell that he's 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 been with someone long enough that he knows these things. But it's once you've been married even longer that you say, not only will you do that, but you'll convince a wife that there was a shipping error and they sent you the wrong one. <laughs> I ordered the Xbox One, babe. Seriously, I did. For some reason, they sent me the PS4. What am I going to do? <laughs> See? Do you really want me to call Amazon and deal with that? It would be easier just uh, to get yeah, the PlayStation. May as well. What the hell? <laughs> okay, let's move away from Disney Infinity and staying with little figures. Lego Dimensions, we got some news on this as well. And some of the stuff that we're going to be getting, there was leaked shots that showed there's going to be a freaking Portal 2 set, which looks incredible. Where are our actual Portal 2, Portal 2 Legos now? There, there are official Portal 2 Legos being released as a result. Okay, and then just because that's a thing that needs to exist earlier today. Oh, no, yeah. they are being produced. This is awesome. And then you've got Doctor Who, the Back to the Future stuff with DeLorean, which is freaking awesome, and uh, and the Simpsons, and then the Jurassic World. Eh, I'm not too much into that, and, but the Scooby Doo, dude. <laughs> Scooby-Doo is kind of awesome, let's be honest here. So this is freaking cool as shit, too. Like, this is some awesome freaking stuff here. This I want. 
so many goddamn clothes. I'm gonna run out of space to put all these things. And I mean, they're like, already I'm talking. Buy a house just for these damn figures. <laughs> they're, they're still talking about like there's going to be also stuff for the Lego Movie, The Wizard of Oz, Ninjago, and the Lord of the Rings, and and we haven't even really seen much in terms of the DC universe, with the exception of you know Batman, but. Jesus, we're going to be seeing some cool stuff. I keep thinking of, again, for each of these, there's some fantastic opportunity. But with the DC stuff, like if they release a set that's like the Flashpoint stuff, oh my God. <laughs> like War of Light stuff. Like there's stuff that the they know these collectibles aren't just for kids. Like you're releasing a Back to the Future set. That's not for kids. Because, yeah, they might have seen the movie, but only because their freaking parents forced them to watch it because <laughs> it's a must watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they know these, their audience. this is based on adults more. So if we if they stay true to that and give us some really cool stuff for like the DC yeah, like characters. How many, how many kids knew the, know who the hell K-9 is from Doctor Who? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some other news. The we got some news on Shadowrun Chronicles Boston. Vince, I'll let you take this. Yeah, this is the game we've been waiting on for ages, it feels like, that was originally supposed to be Shadowrun Online. And it, it dropped completely off my radar forever until it popped back up as uh, releasing as Shadowrun Chronicles Boston. And I really like what I see here from a gameplay standpoint because they've melded the tactical uh, positioning and gameplay of the XCOM franchise, which I'm a huge fan of, with the awesomeness of Shadowrun and built it into this, you know, big story where you can pop in with your friends. You can actually go on runs for missions and it's a lot more streamlined because if you're playing with a squad of people, each person is controlling their own character. So the turns go by really quickly, but you can still work tactically along with your teammates. And it really has that good tabletop feel of having to work with your team and plan out your moves ahead of time and, figure out exactly what you want to do because if you fuck up you're done <laughs> but it, no it, it it doesn't look that great honestly like for a game that's coming out now the graphics are somewhat disappointing but it has the style that it should so I, i'm keeping my eye on it but i but i'm not diving in just yet i am kind of in the same vote as vince as far as like I want it, but I'm very cautiously I want it because, I mean, it's Shadowrun. Like, I can sit here and just kind of scream Shadowrun continuously, and you'll understand that my love of this, this genre. But you it's mean like, it's not what you've been doing for the last two months? It has. It really, really has. But, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I, I kind of just wish it looked a little bit better, but the gameplay is, looks solid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to the platforming section of our show. <laughs> We're going to talk. Where Roger turns off his microphone for a half hour. I can do <laughs> some platforming. Shut up. Um, we're going to start with uh, Mighty Number no. Nine. Joe, go ahead. So, Mighty Number no. Nine, some of you might remember as the uh, not so candid or veiled successor to Mega Man. <laughs> Legally distinct. Legally distinct. Uh, Mega Man, it's the game from Mega Man creator, and I'm going to butcher this Kaiji Inafune. Close, Close enough. enough. Has an actual release date, folks, and it is going to be this year, except it's not going to be summer like we were promised to push back to September 15th. But there is good news with this. It is going to have a physical copy that you can go to the store and purchase. It is not just going to be a 
digital downloadable things. You can actually hold a physical copy of a Mega Man style game in your hands for the first time in years. Seriously? That's news to you? That is news. But really? here's why it's news. Right. If you go and buy the physical copy, you also get access to the Ray DLC. The Ray DLC is an all new stage that will give you the ability to face your rival, which has been tentatively named Beck. Uh, and if you defeat Beck, you get to play as Beck throughout the rest of the Mighty Number no. 9 game. This is only available to the people who buy the physical copy right now, uh, or at least for free, the physical copy, and the people who backed the Kickstarter, which is actually really kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, that, I think, is a kind of a nifty incentive to go and buy a physical copy. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the others as well, and there's a couple of Kickstarter ones. Big, so, big week for Kickstarter. Yeah, oh, huge kidding. week for Kickstarter. Let's start with ukulele. Go ahead, Joe. So... How many of you people out there remember and love Donkey Kong 64 or Banjo-Kazooie or any of the other sort of games that were mascot heavy and Mm -hmm. 3D exploration platforming? Well, if you did and you were sad when they told you that there wasn't a market for them anymore, rejoice. Ukulele is going to be made, and this is going to be a fantastic, from everything I've seen, fantastic endeavor uh, by people that were behind the games of, well, what do you know, Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country. It looks absolutely amazing. It is the story of a chameleon and a bat in the sort of cutesy style, but it's that that wonderful fits. 3D plan for it. It just fits. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And if it wasn't for, uh, you know, let's say it hit Kickstarter, it has 36 days to go. They wanted uh, $270,000 to make this. They're at $2.3 million right now. That's the, the, be okay. the great thing okay. about this is it really allows them to then, if they're going for further funding somehow, to be able to justify what they're asking for because the interest is obviously there. Yeah, if their goal was only 270, you know they already had a publisher lined up. They just kind of had to prove their worth. Which seems to be a kind of uh, theme that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, And then the one that... You, you both were freaking drooling about today. I'm getting messages all over the place for this. Was for Bloodstain, the Ritual of the Night. Vince, I'll let you do this. Yes. This is something that I've been keeping my eye on for a couple of weeks now. Because a couple of weeks ago, this like bizarre conspiracy theory sort of post popped up over on NeoGAF of like this weird image that people had decoded. And they were convinced that on May 4th, uh, Koji Igarashi, who is uh, the mastermind behind all the Castlevania games from Symphony of the Night on was going to be announcing his new game on May 4th. So May 4th came and went nothing except the website Egovania launched. And it was just like this fun little like mini game, whatnot, but a lot of really interesting quotes surrounding it, such as what do you do when you find yourself without a castle? You build another. (laughs) And then it was announced that on May 11th, coincidentally today, we'd be getting some good news. And that news is Bloodstained, which let's see here, the latest total for oh, Bloodstained Jesus. Ritual of the Night, uh, which went live less than seven hours ago. It's at 793000 out of the $500,000 goal. Yeah, I was, I was on the page watching the video and watching the total yeah. clock going up and mm-hmm. up and up and up. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this, this is absolutely... Uh, Igarashi doing his Castlevania style game in his own way because much like Inafune, he was told there was no market for these games anymore. That's why he left Konami uh, because he made them 
phenomenal successes with Symphony of the Night all the way through Order of Ecclesia. And Konami went, we don't want to do this anymore. We're going to hand the Castlevania franchise to these guys over in Spain, which I love Lords of Shadow. No complaints. But as someone who is a huge fan of the Castlevania franchise and played all the games, you know Igarashi had a passion for this. And all of these games that he developed were all revolving around a particular point in the timeline and a story that he really wanted to tell. And after he left Konami, you could tell he was just crushed that he was never going to finish the story that he started. And he actually worked really closely with Inafune, uh, learning a lot about Kickstarter. And now that Mighty Number no. 9 is on its way out the gates, he's sweeping in here with uh, Bloodstained, which just looks phenomenal. Our main character here is Miriam, who has been cursed uh, with what the alchemists cursed. And what that is, is it causes these gems and crystals to, to form over her body and her skin that will eventually turn her into a statue. But the crystals form in these wonderful stained glass art patterns and all the concept art and the character designs we're seeing for this game are gorgeous i'm foreseeing tons of cosplay coming out of this this is going to be a really big game for a certain subset of players and i'm definitely one of them and i'm really excited that i get to slide back into my comfort zone in about two years when the game is done (laughs) i cannot wait for this i mean it is no question that symphony of the night was one of my all-time favorite games like i've played that thing to death i've bought it on every virtual console i possibly can buy it on i have actually destroyed cds on my playstation playing it so often and then to look at this and see some of that same that same love for obvious reasons but also see sort of the updated visuals and the visuals to me like from what we're seeing from the stills right now is sort of in that same kind of like double dragons neon style which is like highly Mm -hmm. stylized but still reminiscent of the old school and uh i don't know about you but when i was watching the video i damn near lost my shit when he got up off the throne and threw the (laughs) wine glass i was i was just everything about this screams labor of love and this is an instant backing for me instant backing and he knows he is an absolute rock star like, oh, yeah. he, he he's up there up. with Kojima as far as, you know, his ego, but he really makes it work. Like they've been doing a live stream all day. It started. God, what time was it? 11, 11 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Pacific. And it's going until around uh, nine o'clock tonight. And all he's been doing is he's on stream playing a bunch of games that were inspired by Symphony of the Night. He's been yep. playing Rogue Legacy. He's been playing Guacamelee, Shadow Complex, all of these Egovania type games that have popped up in the interim since he's been gone. Did you, did you see what he, the last name, the last game on that's going to be? Yes, <laughs> Axiom <laughs> Verge. <laughs> and so he's. It's really cool that he knows what his legacy is, and he's giving back, and he's respecting the people that have come after him, and now wants to build on top of that legacy. It. It's really cool to see, and I really hope that nothing but the best of success because this is a game that I really need in my life. Well, we're seeing so much success right now, too, from indie developers that are using this formula. Mm-hmm. So it would only stand to reason that one of the greats in that job would not have that much trouble getting money from Kickstarter in order to be able to create something that's great. And what I like about this is that there's there's hints and influences from things he's done in the past, certainly, but it's 
really different enough yes, as well. It's distinct. That it's, yeah, that you don't feel like he's just ripping off stuff that he's already created before for Konami kind of thing. No, this is significantly different different cast of characters and the way that it's going to work together. I thought it was fairly interesting. Yeah. Down in the FAQ, it's summed up perfectly with one of the question being, where's Dracula? And the answer is Dracula is part of a different legacy. Bloodstained is a new project and Iga is excited to use it to introduce new enemies. Of course, he'll need your help, blah, blah, blah. But he's setting out from the beginning to make something that is reminiscent of Castlevania, but 100% his own thing and completely different. And I have nothing but respect for anybody who does that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move on now to the last one, the last Kickstarter. And this was the one that, Joe, you sent the link, but I had actually already found it too and was really interested. And partially just because, again, going back to the freaking VR stuff that I'm continually excited for. It's like the hype train for that is not slowing down for any passengers. <laughs> if you want in, you better jump. And it's just you, you, we keep hearing from whether it's different people in the industry or things like that that are talking about their experiences as these things are getting a lot more traction and as things are getting closer to release as well. We're seeing a lot more now for people sharing their experiences and how awesome they think that that it is. Like especially the freaking Steam one, everything that I keep hearing is nothing but praise and not just like oh this is awesome but along the lines of it's just damn near impossible to put into words how incredible this is if that doesn't freaking sell them i don't know (laughs) what will (laughs) but anyways after we talked about the the elite dangerous home hack vr version kind of thing i've been thinking about that a lot more about different things that you can do And we talked a while back, too, about different augmented virtual reality. And we're at a point now with smartphones, iPhones, iPads, or whatever, that I'm surprised it's taking this long for developers to tap into that. Because I would think that there's more of a market. And this one here is called Night Terrors. And basically what you're doing is you're walking around with your phone and it's meant to be at night. Obviously, it's a horror type game, but it's an augmented virtual reality horror game. It's actually got all of the stuff, the the, the scripting and whatnot, so that it's mapping out your home where you are. And it's it's using some old school type effects as well with by way of actors and costumes and different things like that. But it's also doing a lot of really really cool stuff so that you get this this game to play in your home so you have that immersion but you have that augmented reality so that what you're seeing on the screen will at points scare the shit out of you so invest in a freaking wrist wrap case before you start playing <laughs> but otter box sales are going to skyrocket see the the freaking like Google Cardboard, like, can you imagine, again, wearing the Google Cardboard or the, the, the little plastic one that they showed in that, that video for Elite Dangerous as well, and just slide your phone in there and walk around playing this game? Freaking, this this is the kind of stuff that's awesome we need a lot more of. And to the point when they're talking about the, the, the immersion, like, if you wear headphones with this, 
it's going to be binaural so that you can actually get like the sound from everywhere to the point of if there is whether scraping noises or something that's behind the wall, the, the game will have mapped out your home, know where the walls are, and it will sound like it's coming from behind the wall too. This is really, really awesome stuff. And I would really like to see a lot more of it too, not just from the, the horror genre, but like all kinds of different things to really play with that augmented reality. There's, there's enough iPhones and smartphones out there now that if it's properly designed and be it acted or, or, or have the, the 3d art or whatever, like if it's done well enough, I, I would think there'd be a huge market for that. This just starts to show basically everything, like you said, everything we've been talking about. This is, while it, there are certain points of this video where, yes, it's a little hokey, but it's such a cool concept and such an interesting use of the VR. I want more of this. This is, this is the, like you said, this is the type of game I want. I want adventure games that overlay with that VR. I'll, I'll walk around like a damn fool with a Google yep. Cardboard on my face. I don't care. If I'm having <laughs> fun, fuck it, I'm in. But like this right here, this is perfect. And the reason it tripped me, like it, it tipped me was because I love horror games. I love the I love being terrified. I love jump scares. I love things like that. And this was something that I don't know why I never made the connection. Horror games and an actual VR, not just like the Oculus Rift and some of the stuff we've seen for that. That's amazing. And like this is just such a cool concept. I can't get over it. Mm-hmm. Well, the concept, too, is made for that shock jumping scaring mm-hmm. you kind of 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 gameplay or, or movie experience it's made for that like i mean you move the camera once pan pan back and boom something's there like it's it's just so easy for it to to for 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 the story to work by by way of that that your phone whether you're holding it or strapped to your 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 forehead but again i keep thinking of it in terms of like all you have to do is pick up that cheap little plastic thing or the, the Google Cardboard, and you don't need all of the other software mm-hmm. like they were using for Elite Dangerous to send in the picture at all because it's coming from the device. I, man, again, I just, I'm really excited to play this, but also hoping that others will look at the success and hopefully say, yeah, let's, let's jump on this as well. You know, I'm going to, I'll quote Prince from the, uh, the chat room here in the live show. All it does take is one app and the yep. entire world explodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not sure if this game is going to be that yep. app, but the technology behind it is really what's important. How it maps out your house, how it has spatial awareness through a cell phone camera. Like there's no fancy technology going on here. You don't have to buy extra hardware. It's your phone and how they're processing the sensory input through these very limited devices to immerse you immerse you in in the real world <laughs> but like i i honestly wouldn't be surprised if microsoft stepped in and bought up this technology for hololens again whether it's the hololens or whatever like you're saying too like by mapping so, oh, someone is going to buy this technology oh yeah oh yeah yeah definitely yeah because again all you need like that that's the big thing with the vr whether it's the Steam or, or the other ones kind of thing that they're, um, well, especially the, the Steam one, kind of mapping out your environment and then overlaying something for you to play. Well, 
you could do the same goddamn thing with this tech mm-hmm. for a hell of a lot less money. And I again, already own a cell phone. Yeah. Slap that thing in a case in front of your eyes and you're freaking laughing. So, yeah, it's the tech that has me so, so very excited. Mm-hmm. So, are we getting a feature from you this week? I don't uh, know if you said. It's been in Dropbox Did you? for the good, last good. week. Yeah. So, we have a fantastic feature on... He says without listening to it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming based on years of features from you. Oh, uh, the artificial ego inflation. Yes. It, it, it is, uh, believe it or not, about Mortal Kombat X and how uh, pleased I am with their handling of the female characters this time around. Fantastic. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And you can find the show notes, of course, at For the Lore. Thanks to everybody who joined us live. You can join us on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern at ForTheLore.com slash live. You can also find us on Twitter at For the Lore or individually Joe at Loaders at J, Vince at Simodian, or myself at Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Believe it or not, I'm here to talk about Mortal Kombat. When Mortal Kombat 9, which was actually just titled Mortal Kombat as a franchise reboot, was released four years ago, I had very little good to say about it. As a casual fan of fighting games in general, it just didn't appeal to me. The controls were clunky, the movement slow, and I just didn't find it terribly fun to play. Credit where it's due, the game did have a very good story mode, raising the bar for all future fighting games. However, it still wasn't without its problems. The story itself was actually pretty good, a fun way of rebooting the franchise and updating a lot of the lore for the modern generation. I didn't even have a problem with the writing. It was cheesy, sure, but honestly, right in line with the game's B-movie action aesthetic. The big problem with MK9's story mode was how it handled the female characters. The franchise has always been home to a bunch of badass lady warriors, but this entry only served to make them feel weak. Sonya Blade, a high-ranking Special Forces operative and longtime fan favorite, was almost constantly used as a damsel in distress for characters like Johnny Cage. Kitana fared a little better, but was still overshadowed by the male characters in the story, and the rest of the female cast received very little development. Moreover, the way they were portrayed in the game's art was nothing short of horrible. At best, they looked like strippers. And at worst, you had designs like Melina's alternate costume, consisting of a half-dozen strategically placed bandages. Sonya wore a tactical vest designed to protect her nipples and little else. It was offensive, exploitative, and downright juvenile. Fast forward to Mortal Kombat X, released just a few weeks ago, and NetherRealm Studios seems to have really learned from their mistakes. The game itself is quicker, it's smoother, it plays better. The story mode is, once again, rather well done, and introduces a new generation of characters to the franchise while still honoring those who came before. The female characters this time around are just as strong as the men, and in some cases receive even more development. Cassie Cage and Jackie Briggs aren't just Johnny Cage and Jax's daughters. They serve a purpose all their own in the story. Melina is embroiled in a political struggle, while Sonya is a general in charge of protecting all of Earth. The entire female cast is full of those same badass ladies. This time around, though, they play a second fiddle to nobody. On top of that, they even made one of the new male characters gay, 
a move that further increases the cast's diversity. Just as important as how they're written, Netherrealm has graphically redesigned the entire cast. Character models are realistically proportioned, and the costumes are all quite good. Some of the characters still have an amount of sex appeal, sure, but at no point is it even close to offensive. I'm very proud of the work they've done to make their game more inclusive. This is also happening at the same time Activision has announced that the next Call of Duty game will allow players to create a female character as the lead in the main story for the first time. As much praise as Life is Strange has gotten for having a female protagonist, that game's audience will still likely be relatively small compared to games like Mortal Kombat and Call of Duty. Seeing these big franchises, with largely male-dominated player bases, getting on board with gender equality makes an impact. Hopefully gone are the days of Ubisoft deciding female character models are too much work. If the creators of Mortal Freaking Combat can change their outlook this much from one game to the next, any game studio should be capable of it, and I really hope that this is the trend moving forward. I refuse to acknowledge your contribution to this project. <laughs> sitting on the couch after supper, I got my legs up, or watching a show, and I have my phone in my hands. And it's like, if I receive a tweet from somebody saying, can't make it tonight, I'm not so sure I'm going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, telling my, I was trying to explain it to my eldest son, because we were at, uh, we took Karen out for, for Mother's Day brunch yesterday. And so we're sitting around, and I'm trying to explain it all to him. But he plays hardcore. I was like, have you done the riffs yet? And he was like, fuck no. <laughs> I do not want to die. I don't know what's going on in there. Screw it. I'm not doing it. Let me be. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. 